I am so glad you could join us. I'm your host, Mo Gaudat. This podcast is nothing more than a conversation between two good friends sharing inspiring life stories and perhaps some nuggets of wisdom along the way. This is your invitation to slow down with us. Welcome to Slow Mo. Welcome back. My guest today is an example, a remarkable story uh, of someone who's faced a lot of struggle in life and yet continues to want to make the life of others better. She started from having her first or experiencing her first trauma when she was in the womb of her mother, all the way to taking care of her family at age eight then becoming the one that helps thousands and thousands with their trauma experiences. On the path, she managed to take uh, charge of her own life at age 17, gain two psychology degrees, two master's degrees in psychology and coaching, and then be certified in so many modalities of healing, including yoga certification and energy psychology and other things. Tori Jenney is someone that got introduced to me by a very dear friend, my co-author, Alice Law, as truly someone who helped her shape her life as she was going through her own stressful experiences with the loss of her uh, father and sister and so on. When Alice recommended uh, the work of Tori to me, I started to learn, listen a little bit to what she teaches and uh, listen to her when she spoke to our members on unstressable.com she made a ton of sense to me. And the more I referred her to some uh, of those who reach out to me to ask for help and support, the more I get feedback that make me refer her more and more, feeling confident that she will actually make a difference to those who come her way. Tori's approach to managing trauma is not one of, I've studied this or I've read it in a book. Her approach is, I have lived this myself. I know how this goes. And she's not shy with her advice. I definitely have been looking forward to this conversation for a while, not only because of what Tori knows, but because of what she represents in terms of not only proving that, yes, you can overcome your your traumas, you can experience post-traumatic growth, but you can also help others heal with what you've learned. I really hope you're going to enjoy this conversation with Tori you do have a few too many psychology degrees though i mean <laughs> let, 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 let me start from that i mean why why would anyone you have four like you have uh three psychology degrees and you have one in uh energy psychology or something like that yeah that's that's just like a certification program but i definitely I think because what happened is I did clinical psychology, so I understood the Western style, and then I really went into like transpersonal and positive psychology because I wanted to understand different types of the mind. And then I've studied yoga and meditation and philosophy. You know, when I lived in Japan, I studied Buddhism when I was like 19, so I've always been deeply interested in the mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why not? Let me go to Japan and study Buddhism in Japan. Yeah, why? Yeah, no problem. 
I'll come back to this in a minute, but, but maybe okay. let's start with what drove you to study so much psychology and, you know, sure. and it is, it starts from the West coast, I think not the East coast. I'm a West coast girl only. Okay. All right. So you were born in California. I was born in Washington in Seattle, Washington, uh-huh. conceived in California. My most fascinating fact is that my mom was in rehab at the time that she had conceived me. She left California and went back to Washington. So I was born to a single mom who struggled with a lot of addiction. And that created a lot of up and down in our lives. Um, she was married multiple times. So I went to, you know, probably the age five to 14. I went to seven or eight different schools. We moved a lot. There was a lot of financial instability. And I loved my mom, but I had to take care of her. You know, somebody, somebody had to take care of her. And I had a little brother from her second marriage, which I just adore. And he's still the most important person in my life to this day. But, you know, when he was around, I would take care of him. So I just grew up with a lot of responsibility and needed to, and a lot of, you know, emotional, physical trauma as well. Cause that if anyone's ever grown up with a parent who's, you know, an alcoholic or, or even has mental health issues, you know, creates a lot of instability. And now what we know about trauma is that creates a lot of instability within us and, you know, in our environment. So I became the classic, what we call codependent rescuer, meaning I took mm-hmm. care of everyone and everything. You know, when I was eight, nine years old, I was doing all the grocery shopping and I would put the bags on my bike and ride home and <laughs> wow. cook food. And mm-hmm. I did it all myself. So after a really difficult childhood, about 17, and, you know, I had some good, I had a grandmother in there uh, from my brother who was also amazing. So I had some positive people in my life, of course, too, you know, that helped me, but I definitely am statistically should not have come where I have. But by 17, I decided it was time to go. So I moved out on my own and figured it out. I worked hard. I put myself through school. You know, I had some support there too along the way, but I put myself through all those degrees without a single loan. I paid without cash a for everything. Loan. Why are you anti-American? I mean, like, shouldn't you, <laughs> shouldn't you What's be a slave to student loans for the rest of your life? Just in respect of the flag. I know what's really funny is I just, you know, I didn't grow up with people who had uh, good credit or financial ability. So I didn't really understand all of it. And when I had applied for it, it actually kind of scared me to take out that big of a loan. Like it was very fearful because I didn't like, gosh, like, how am I going to pay all that back? So what it did is I just took some time off from school and I put money away. Like I started saving and then I figured it out. Like, okay, I have to pay my tuition every quarter. And if I put this money away and I work, you know, I worked full time all the way through every single degree, um, including graduate school. I was like an HR manager for a large corporation and I worked, you know, I did at night, like it was, it was very intense. So I, pushed myself really hard to do that. And maybe that wasn't the right choice. But honestly, it was just kind of a fluke. It was kind of like, you know, people when you hear they start businesses, and they, they just kind of bootstrap it. That's kind of how I did it. It's like, it'd be like a business person who didn't understand venture, venture capitalism. <laughs> I, I have to say, this is incredible. Actually, it's an interesting way of saying that probably being fearful of, of that student loan saved your life, because most people end up paying that student loan for 20 years and yeah. you know you took three degrees so you would have you would have paid it uh, you know well into your 90s basically <laughs> for sure <laughs> and you know it did affect the one thing it probably did do is i didn't go to like the world's best schools you know i always went to state schools that are that had you know i wasn't going to like princeton or stanford or something like that but you know that was a consideration 
option for me as like, you know, a California State University was going to be a, much more affordable than something like a private tuition, you know, like a lot of people don't know, especially in other countries, it's always shocking to them. But like, Stanford University is like $300,000 for four years. So that's, that's a big yeah. chunk of money to take out. <laughs> it can be totally worth it, of course, but it was yeah. just it wasn't an option for me. And that was okay. But I got good education. I was super glad. And I knew from growing up where I did and, you know, not always the best neighborhoods around a lot of difficulty, that education was my ticket out. And my mom and my sister, my older sister, both struggled with addiction. My biological father was an alcoholic. So my one of, you know, several of my mom's husbands had addiction problems as well, because they, you know, like attracts like. So I also made like the radical choice when I was very young that I wasn't going to do anything. So I'm actually someone who hasn't drank alcohol in 22 years. Because for me, I just knew that that wasn't going to probably work out well for me. Mm. <laughs> I knew that I, if I wasn't going to become like my family, I was going to have to make radically different choices and that would give me the power. So I knew that being a sober person and being someone who got my education were two things I could do that were very different from those people had come before me so that I could create something different. And so I could, you know, support my little brother and make our lives better. And I'm, I'm so grateful I did and that the universe had some other plan for me to give me the strength to do that. Cause I know a lot of people who grew up like I did, you know, we were talking about statistics when we were chatting statistically, I definitely shouldn't be where I am. You know, my sister, sadly, she didn't even make it to my age now. So, um, you know, childhood was difficult, but then also the last, like, pretty much everyone in my family has passed by now. So it's just, I'm the oldest living person in my immediate family. Oh, wow. Yeah. So my mom passed, my dad, my biological dad passed, my older sister passed, my grandmother passed, you know, it's just like one person after another. So also in adulthood, you know, I've, I've experienced a lot of trauma. So I guess when I talk about you know, being happier, working through things, you know, never speaking from a place of like, oh, I read this in a book, <laughs> speaking from a place of getting into the lowest lows of the most difficult things that we go through in life and having to crawl my way out of that, or, you know, pull myself up and, and find peace and find happiness again after the loss, because it's not easy, but it is, it yeah. is possible. And that's what I hope that people, when they hear my story, they know that like, you can go through horrific things whether it's war or famine or, you know, there is something called post-traumatic growth. And I do think that that can be true, but it's, it's very much up to us how we respond to it. And we do have a choice. And sometimes when you're in it, it doesn't feel like it. And I understand that, but there's a lot of things that are available to help us heal and move forward and change our lives. That's incredible. Uh, Tori, to Tori do I have two very, deep questions, if you don't mind. Sure. One is why does life choose some of us to take us through those incredible hardships? And, and two is why do some of us crawl out and some of us not? Yes, that's a good question. I actually believe from a more of a, you know, spiritual perspective, and I'm very left brained and scientific as well, but I've developed more of the right brain as I've gotten older. When I was younger, I was agnostic at best and very much about the data. <laughs> and now mm -hmm. I, I really expanded. And I think that this, this right brained intuitive side has helped me a lot oh, more yeah. to understand it. Mm. And I'm a quarter Native American. So I've really looked into that side of, of my culture and my history more as I've gotten older. And they they believe that the healers of the group are the ones that have been through the most tragedy 
And uh, I think that's true, that the soul has chose to come in and help people. And the best way to do that is to really have us experience how, you know, I know I wouldn't be half of the person that I am had I not had those experiences, had I not healed those things, I wouldn't have the compassion that I do. Because I can sit with someone and they can tell me anything and I'm not sad for them. I'm not, you know, I, I'm not shocked by it. Like, I love that. I, I hear that from clients so often that they don't feel judged by I mean, they, they feel like I really understand and I can hear them and I can hold space for whatever has occurred in their life, no matter how awful. And it's because I've been in a lot of those spaces and I, and I have such deep compassion and love for it. And I understand how to see the transformation that it can occur from it. And so I think the soul does choose these lessons to grow in the way that you're meant to grow. And that can sound, you know, very woo woo or out there, but there's really that, that's the only way to truly look at it. Cause otherwise we look, you know, I love Einstein said, you either look at life as if it's a miracle or, you know, nothing at all. <laughs> it's kind of like, how can you see that as yeah. light? These things that are happening to us for some reason are happening to help us grow in a way that is helping us become the person that we're truly meant to be. And I always say that pain is a powerful teacher. When things are easy, we don't really have that pressure to grow you know if you're if you're in a, a decent job and you're not that happy you don't have that pressure to like leave if you're in an okay relationship you don't have that pressure but if it's if it's a really bad job and a really horrific boss that might promote like propel you to go start your own thing if you're in a really bad relationship even though it's hard to get out ultimately that pressure and that pain will push you to make that big change that you need to make and so your soul chose that to help you be the catalyst to break you open. I always say we choose what breaks us down and we choose what breaks us open. And that's where the, what's the difference between those people who have that ability to crawl out of the hole and the people who don't. And I think it's really just choice. And I think everyone does at some point, but another point is from the spiritual perspective, like some people may just need to be in that lower space longer because they're learning something from that. They might be learning forgiveness. They might be learning how to heal from addiction. They might be learning how to receive help. You know, there's things that when we're in that low that we're also learning and it takes us time to get out of it and getting out of it looks different for all of us. I think what we hope is that when we get out of it, you know, it's, it's like everything is perfect and we have the love and the relationship and the money. <laughs> and sometimes just being at peace is getting out of it. So is it, uh, I'll ask you honestly, because it's on my mind, why? Why does the soul choose this? Why, why, you know, honestly, when you really think about it, is that soul that comes and struggles and suffers, then learns, then develops, then helps others? Is that a better off soul than the one that comes here, spends 40 years surfing and then leaves? Just different soul paths. If, if we each have a unique set of, like from Vedic astrology perspective, we each have a unique karma, meaning that we have, you know, and this goes into past lives as well. And that's okay. If, if someone doesn't believe it, you don't have to, but the soul comes in with its own plan for its evolution. And some people may come here to be, to experience happiness and just hang out on the ocean and surf for 40 years and have the, have easy ease. And that is their path. And other souls came in with different karma and different lessons to learn. And it's sometimes not having, it's hard, but it's like not having judgment for what that is. It's also becoming empowered creators of our lives. 
right? Because there's a lot of times in my life I could have just laid down and said, it's too much, I give up. And there's definitely been moments I've, I've thought that, like, like I, there's definitely been thoughts where I'm like, why me? <laughs> like, why? I, I have to agree. I mean, what you've been through is just... <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm just telling you, like, you know, like I, high no, level what's know, happened. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so... There's definitely been times where I'm like, okay, why me? And then I have to, I have to shift that and say, okay, but instead of saying, why is this happening to me? How can I say, how is this happening for me? How is this happening to lead me to more, more love or more joy or more power, empowerment and more strength, more wisdom, you know, and that, that's the hardest thing that we all have to do, whether it's any difficult experience, a breakup of job loss, the loss of a parent, you know, it's like, that person, their time was up on this planet. And I've, I've gone through, you know, grief for many years and being present in the now and recognizing that the soul got what it came for and it's ready to go home and that, that I have to be good on my own in this world is a powerful lesson, you know, and some of us are here to learn those deeper lessons and some of us are not, and that's okay. Yeah. I mean, while I was texting in the morning, telling a friend about how much how difficult the last couple of weeks have been in terms of life resisting everything. And then she answered back and she said, maybe life is trying to tell you something. And I said, tell you what? And she said, spend more time with me. Yeah. Nice fun. I like that. But I actually realized at the end of the day, after I poked my finger with that, with that screwdriver, I, I suddenly realized that maybe this is the month of Ramadan here in Dubai and you know, mm -hmm. in Ramadan we is really very spiritual. But I just moved oh, to this sure. new place and, you know, I'm, I'm trying really hard to make it very much my own. Probably the first time I had a home in like 10 years. And so, you know, I'm, and I'm very good with my hands. I do a lot of, you know, a lot of things with my hands all my life. And so I'm like trying to fix everything and just get everything to be perfect and so on. And then suddenly I thought maybe life is just saying, don't do things this month. Just sit back and reflect and find your spirituality. Like, you know, I, I, one of the things that spoiled my, my <laughs> constant spirituality, if you want a little bit, is that I started to fall into that pattern of 40 day silent retreats very frequently. And so basically when I'm not there, I'm not silent at all. I'm like doing a mm. million things, right? Saying to myself, okay, July is not around the, you know, it's not far, it's around the corner and then I'll disappear a little bit. And in my mind, suddenly I realize, hold on, maybe life is just saying, don't wait until June or July, just, just start to reflect and use life differently now. So Tori, I can't compare any of my stories, even though a lot of people will say that I struggled a lot as well. It's interesting that because for me, I feel that the struggles I struggled were ones I was destined to be able to overcome. Okay. There were other types of struggle that maybe I would have crumbled under completely, right? But, uh, you know, I think with the exception of losing Ali, which is definitely the one pain that I, you know, that really stretched me beyond my capabilities because between everything I, I have and love and own and, and relate to and, you know, connect to in life, Ali and I definitely are my closest things things. <laughs> but, uh, but otherwise I don't feel that I struggled that much. And, and I discuss that with, with people sometime, you being a trauma expert. And if you don't mind me saying you probably had your first trauma in the womb, right? Oh, definitely. Yeah. So I even had a traumatic birth. <laughs> <laughs> Did you as well? 
What's up with you? What's up with you, Tori? I do not know. I was really born, you know, I joke that I was forged in fire. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me a little bit about that. First, let's talk about what is a trauma? Like in the womb, what you, what you experienced must have been quite a traumatic nine months because your mom is struggling with her addiction. She's in rehab. There is difficulty in life. She must have been angry and depressed and so on. And all of that is fused into you. Then you have the traumatic birth and then you come out to this world where you see a lot of pain around you. These are very different events, but we all, we call all of them trauma. What, what is a mm -hmm. trauma? Yeah, I like to think of trauma as any experience that really disconnects us from safety. It's it's we think of trauma as these things of like, you know, war or being assaulted and and those things are definitely traumas. You know, those are what some people call capital T traumas. But we all experience emotional trauma. And trauma can be these events that happen to you and it's not just what happens to you, it's also what you believe about yourself and your life after they happen. So maybe someone is in an earthquake and before life they felt safe in their home and after that they don't feel safe in their home. So that can be a, an example of like, you know, a natural disaster. What we know now about trauma in utero is that when the mother is stressed that the baby is getting all of that stress, you know, they're being bathed in those same chemicals. There's also more research on genetic trauma, which is fascinating and just a new but things like people who survived the Holocaust, they had certain markers in their, their DNA and their children's children had those same markers of stress in their DNA. So while those grandchildren had not experienced the same energy or you know physical experience, that trauma had been passed down. So there's the genetic trauma. And then there's what I call kind of the everyday trauma where there's the difficulty of like maybe you have a teacher or a coach who's putting you down and that starts to affect your self-esteem or you have a really critical parent about your looks or your weight or your academic performance and that starts to put you know put a damper on how you see yourself how you see life how safe you feel and then we have things like attachment trauma how you bonded to your parents so if they didn't feel safe or they were maybe chaotic or unpredictable you might have what we call anxious attachment where you want to hang on to people and when they when they kind of move away it makes you feel more anxious and you you you, you hang on tighter and we have the avoidant type who wants to any sign of difficulty they want to run away they actually they really want does they really want that connection but it scares them hmm. and then of course we have things like you know physical illness can create trauma in us because it it leads us to not trust our body and there's just so many ways that things can happen. And, and I love that the conversation around trauma is really changing. But even in, in America to this day, we still have a very narrow definition of trauma. It's really, you know, neglect, abuse, etc. You know, it, it's a very like what we think of like trauma. But I really hope that we can change the conversation to be more holistic so we understand what trauma is because it's really blocking us. And what most people are calling themselves when they say they have self-sabotage or they can't get out of their own way. A lot of times it's really just their, their unresolved trauma. You know, I work with a lot of successful leaders, entrepreneurs, business owners, and just amazing people. And, and they're, they're functioning in life, but they're not getting to like that next level and they don't know what it is. So the work I really do is helping them understand like what's occurred and how can we clear that out mm -hmm. to help them like process that trauma and, and have, you know, when we do that work, when we heal, we gain our confidence, we gain our agency, 
we can see clearly. We, we don't get as triggered in life and, and we take a lot of our power back. And it can be so simple. Like I work with a lot of leaders, like a funny example I can give is like things like delegation. You know, they won't be delegating. And, and most people are like, oh, you just got to give it to people. It's like, no, delegation is so much more about trust and yeah. worthiness and all these deep things that we don't often look at. And so yeah. that's a very simple case. But even when finding love, you know, people under not understand whether they're not attracting the right partner. It's like, well, they might have all these past emotional traumas or experiences, negative experiences in relationships or negative experience with their parents' relationship that's now showing up and manifesting in their current experience. So we've really got to look at that holistically, heal those things, give them different tools and help the body process it too. That's another thing about trauma that we understand now is, you know, seven years of talk therapy isn't going to be the only thing that helps. Therapy is wonderful. I truly believe in it, but you also have to process it through the body. So that can be as simple as, you know, movement, exercise, uh, meditation, breath work. There's so many things that can help but we definitely have to integrate the body into that process. That's fascinating. So let me ask this very clearly. Is trauma a modern world disease? I mean, let's think about it this way. Your Native American ancestors, before Columbus arrived and all of the massacres started, mm -hmm. when they lived in nature, connected with nature, yes, sometimes they would be injured, you know, physical trauma, what we call physical trauma now. Sometimes, you know, there would be disagreements. Sometimes there would, they would lose a child or, you know, whatever. The, what, what we now term as trauma, do you think those registered for them as trauma? Do you think they sat in the corner and re reflected about it and questioned purpose and all of the stuff that we do now? Or is it more what I call problems of privilege now that we are safe in our environment, that now that we are disconnected, sadly, uh, from nature, that now that we don't really know the truth of life and what life is all about, we start to invent another psychological world, if you want, in which we invent our traumas. No, for sure. I think they experienced traumas, you know, like loss and et cetera. But I think they had a lot better protection from trauma because what we know that gives resilience from trauma is community, connection to nature, connection to self. And these are all things that, like you're saying, in the modern world, we've disconnected from. I think we don't have the same resilience that we used to. And trauma is a modern word, but even in the early wars, they did have words that they used for it. Um, for example, they used the word shell shock for yeah. a man who came back from war and was yeah. different. And what yeah. we now know as modern PTSD is PTSD, what they were yeah. talking about. So yeah. we did see these things happen because, you know, humans have, you know, from the the dark ages <laughs> they experienced a lot of trauma but life was different it was we were more insulated from the world we had smaller communities we had tighter knit families i believe you know there was a lot there was a lot more difficulty but i think they handled it in different ways i think we are just starting to understand it more and because of the disconnection and the chronic stress that we experience i think we're not handling it as well as maybe we had before but it would be a fascinating anthropological study to look back and see if, you know, they, if we could dig up and see if they had the same stress responses or the same adrenal response. You know, a lot of people don't understand that. But when we are experiencing trauma or even what we call perceived trauma, which means we're triggered or stressed, our body is in fight, flight, freeze, fawn. You know, it's, it's, in, it's in a chemical bath of, of 
cortisol and adrenaline and all these difficult um, chemicals. And I'd be fascinated to see if, you know, a thousand years ago, if they were in that and they were able to come out of it faster. What we know is that we stay in those states a lot more now. And it's kind of like the gas and the brake, right? And most people just have their foot on the gas all day long and the body never gets to rest and recuperate and go into that parasympathetic Mm. rest and digest state. And so I think, and that's what we need to get into to heal. And it's very, it took me years to learn how to get into that state. I mean, one of the very good examples is, so my my good friend and one of the most fascinating men I know on the planet is Jimmy Nelson, who uh, spends his life basically going to live with indigenous tribes. You know, he sits outside for six months until they allow him in. Uh, He kneels and respects and doesn't speak a word of their language and then joins their community and then maybe six months later, they'll allow him to take one picture of them on film, right? And he was telling me the story once uh, about, I don't remember where he was, but he he was with one of those tribes and he always wanted to capture the truth of the essence of that tribe, not just the way they look and their costumes and so on. And so he asked them to get into their war gear Uh, the women into their, you know, I don't know, like fancy dresses or whatever. And they had to walk uh, almost 10, 12 hours to a waterfall around the village. And that waterfall is where they normally stand for their ceremonies when they have something big happening in their village. And, And so by the time they got there, the light wasn't great. And so they had to spend the night there and take the photo the next day. And he said, And so we all slept there literally behind the waterfall. So you would go inside and then there are like racks of of rock and you sleep on one of those rocks and it's very, very hard and it's very wet and it's very noisy. And he says, I had the best sleep of my life. Okay. (sighs) Everyone in the village slept soundly. Everyone was wonderful. They woke up in the morning, everything was okay. Right. Which, again, is a very interesting interpretation. Like you said, the resilience of what we are so unused to for them, that whole connection with with nature was just so simple for them. And it's just not causing trauma to start. You know, I, I know for a fact that in the older communities of the Middle East, because, you know, they used to have eight, nine, ten kids and because life expectancy wasn't that high, if one child died, it was sort of expected, you know, they, they, they of course grieved, but, but they didn't grieve as we grieve because now our expectation from healthcare is that we will live forever. And, you know, of course, if you have one or two children and one of them goes, you're like, okay, half of my life is gone. Right. I think there is a lot of that, that we add to ourself because of our modern uh, lifestyle. Yes. We are so disconnected from nature. We are so disconnected from each other. And those are the things we know that insulate us, that, that give us protection. You know, it's like a tree without roots. Yeah. You know, we, we need community. We need family if that's option. You know, it's not an option for everybody, but finding your own community and even a few close connections. One person yeah. who believes in you can give you a lot of resilience. Yeah. A circle of support. So I, I don't claim to be a trauma expert. Alice doesn't, uh, of course, either. <laughs> I actually don't some... either. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't yeah. claim to be an expert. I'm just well educated, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So, so actually what, what normally happens is when we get someone that is in, in trauma, we send them to you. But let me, uh, let me ask you this. 
some people don't actually recognize that they're traumatized at all. As a matter of fact, more often than not, yeah. people will think that there is something wrong with life, but nothing wrong with them. So how does one recognize that trauma? Yeah, I would say almost almost everyone I've ever worked with doesn't think they have trauma. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. That's a very normal thing. People who have who know they have trauma have very classical trauma. You know, yeah. like they've been in a car accident or they've been mugged or it's something that like we we think of like when you see a movie like oh they're traumatized. But we don't recognize, like I said, the small everyday traumas or maybe the way that, that we didn't get love that we needed from a parent. So the signs of trauma are often um, feeling disconnected from yourself or others, being stuck in things like perfectionism and procrastination because there's actually a lot of fear there. Am I enough? Will I fail? Being very easily triggered is a big sign. So when people say things, you know, you kind of get stuck in your head or you overreact and just that feeling in your body of like maybe always needing to be busy or always needing to be on, like or feeling more shut down and more or depressed. And hold, hold, hold on, hold on, hold on. What's oh, that yeah. one? That's that one is me. What is that one? Always needing to be busy. I'm not. I'm not <laughs> always needing to be busy, but I have to always be doing something, like thinking about something, writing something, fixing something. What is yeah, that? Yeah, it's that, not. Is that it's not always. It's not always negative, but I find that when we're always trying to do something that we're not really allowing to sit with ourselves. And if we're not yeah, sitting yeah, yeah. with ourselves and, and going inward, then there's usually something we're avoiding. Oh, oh hello. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I, I, you know, I, I actually love sitting with myself too, but I love okay, to good. do things, right? And I do, I do them in extremes. So, so you would get, I would get weeks on end where I'm constantly recording and writing and fixing and doing and so on. And weeks on end when I'm completely silent, basically. Okay. Well that, that's still bringing balance. What I normally see is someone that's not who's, two traumas then. No, I mean, I think we've always got some kind of work to do, but it's more of like being in a continual state of never being able to sit with yourself. You know, I've got, I've worked with so many people who could not meditate for even four minutes. Like that's so uncomfortable for them. And some people who are in a lot of trauma actually shouldn't even try to meditate yet. They need oh. to do like a walking meditation or physical yoga or something to start calming their nervous system down and feeling safe. Because, you know, when we get quiet with ourselves, all of our stuff comes up. Mm. And so if you can get quiet with yourself, you're probably good. And you you also, you're doing a balance where it comes, you're kind of using your energy if it comes in waves and you utilize it to get lots of things done. And then you take the time to go within. And, you know, it's like for you, it sounds like your next level is really making life and every day more of a spiritual practice. Spot on. I was just telling a friend actually. So I, I used to be incredibly spiritual in terms of like, even in my busy work life, there is a good 20, 30% of my day spent on my spirituality, contemplating, reflecting, silence, and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. I don't do that as much anymore. And, and there is an interesting side of it because spirituality is not really about doing, okay? But, it, but at the same time, I sort of miss it. I sort of miss that curiosity where I was looking for stuff and, and listening to teachers and agreeing and disagreeing and so on. I, it's definitely something that spot on, I think, spirituality, back to that level of 20, 30% of everyday spirituality, I think is a very interesting thing. Yeah. This is not my, my therapy session, Tori. <laughs> we'll do that after everyone's gone. Uh, I interrupted you. You were saying signs no, of okay. trauma. Yeah, signs of trauma. Uh, you were saying one of them is busy uh, all the time. Yeah, so Keep being going. over busy. And, you know, it also, a lot like 
some really famous trauma experts who are like, you know, Dr. Gabor Mate and Dr. Bessel van der Kolk. And there's so many out there that, you know, have great work. But what we also know is that things like if you're struggling with addiction of any kind, you know, that, that can have a trauma root. Health issues. We know from there's a study called the ACEs study that if you'd experienced, they took, you know, middle class white families in San Diego and they studied those children over time. And if they had these 10 things occur, like a parental divorce, you know, listening to your parents fight, things like that, they followed them over the lifetime and a healthcare company did this. They found that they had 400% increase in things like heart disease and anxiety and depression and all these things that they had four or more of these traumas from childhood. So if, if people are experiencing anxiety, depression, ADHD, bipolar, a lot of these things also, not, not to say it's just that, because, you know, health conditions of any kind have multiple facets. But I always invite people who've had health challenges, mental health challenges, look, you know, get in, get ad therapy, because therapy will help you. There was a fascinating study done at University of Washington in Seattle, where they had three groups of people with unknown back pain, right? They call it unknown etiology. So there's no, there's no physical reason. There's no like slipped disc. There's no broken back, but they just had back pain and they broke them into three groups. And one group got cortisone shots for, for inflammation. The other group got back surgery and the third group got therapy, <laughs> mental health therapy. And the only group that got better was the group that got therapy. No way. Yes. And the hypothesis was that since the back is connected to the brainstem, and when the brain is constantly in a negative state, the back is responding. Like the, if the brain is saying something is wrong and it's giving you those chemical messengers, it's telling the back that something is wrong and their pain was manifesting. Wow. But then in, in that case, we could take everything back to trauma. Like everything could simply yes. be triggered by trauma. And I just see trauma, like if, if we have any issue in life, I believe we've really got to throw everything at it. So I believe that, you know, I look <laughs> at things very holistically, like mm -hmm. you've got to look at the mind and the, and the, and the, the beliefs and the thought systems and, and the experiences and the traumas. You have to look at the body and the lifestyle and the habits. And then you have to look at the soul. Like, are you happy in some, you know, or do you have purpose? Do you have meaning? Do you have, are you doing something that's meaningful to you? And all those things will help us heal. You know, I even... In 2018, I was diagnosed with um, something called adrenal insufficiency or Addison's disease. And they, they really believe that, that it's basically being in a state of fight or flight all the time. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> you, so that's, much that you. That's so tough. Yeah. So you burn your adrenals out and they just, you stop producing stress hormones. Like you, it's like they break. <laughs> mm. And so the, the Western mindset on that is to just put you on steroids for the rest of your life. And I knew that that wasn't something that I wanted to do. So I looked at it very holistically because I was sleeping for 12 hours. I would never feel refreshed. I would literally get up, sit at my desk, see a client, and then go lay on my couch in my office to like rejuvenate just so I could do the next client. And so I was so tired and it took me a couple of years, but I worked with a functional medicine doctor, a naturopath, acupuncture, did more trauma work. You know, I just, I, I went all in and I'm finally making cortisol again. And I did that all with natural supplements. And, you know, that's not possible for everyone. Everyone's body is different, but I, I just know that we have a certain level of healing to all of us. If we're willing to put the work in and really look at all the scary places. Hmm. So challenging. It's so challenging because it, it's so complex when you think about it, right? Would you say that the 
first place to start. I mean, you said two things now that basically say the first place to start is mental health. So if you have any physical pain, unless yeah, all, it's like a clear course, always, external germ. Always go to your doctor and make sure, you know, because also mental health can be affected by physical, but you know, the mind and body are so deeply connected. Of course, if you're if you're physically in pain, that's going to cause mental pain and vice versa. If you're mentally in pain, it can cause physical pain. We know that people with depression who are diagnosed depression, they can have physical pain. You and I both had very severe, you know, you more than I, but severe loss, you know, and that grief, like you feel grief in your body. I love, I love how people, I love how people who have lost so deeply will always say you more than I, when in reality, well, <laughs> it's never one more than the other, you know, that's that, true. right? Yeah, I mean, we, we, we lose the ones that really will teach us. It's the, that's the truth. No, no one, no one has ever had a loss in their life that looked at another loss and said, ah, mine is easier. Uh, you, you know what I mean? Loss is loss, isn't it? It is. And there's really no comparison because it, yeah. it, it all affects us differently. I just, in my personal experience, you know, my, my brother got very sick at one point and the thought of, and he's kind of like my child. So the thought yeah. of losing him was probably the most... I know terrified I'd ever been, you know, he's very, very sick. Um, so I feel like, you know, at some point we all expect to lose our parents and that's just different, but yeah. I feel like the loss of a child is such a deep yeah. soul connection. That's why I say that yeah. it's just more of a reverence for the loss. of. No, no, I'm, I, I appreciate that you're saying that. I, I just also look at others sometimes with compassion and say, oh my God, but losing your mother several times in your life, actually, because I don't think it was just the loss of your mother. It was that constant addiction and the way she went through that life was almost constant loss from the day you met her and then losing your sister. And then, you know, it's just uh, all of them. I mean, as you rightly said, you're, you're the eldest of the tribe now in your early forties. So it's uh, quite an interesting, uh, you, uh, it's almost like you're living in the 1800s. Everyone else is, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, but let's, let's go back like to, let's go back to this. So, so the idea of everything becoming first a consideration for your mental health. You know, if your back is hurting, if your neck is hurting and so on. I have to admit in my mind, I always take it back to, oh, it's because I carried too many rocks into the aquarium or whatever. That's why my neck hurts. Or I, you know, I slept on the wrong pillow, but you're saying, no, there is probably a mental health side to it as well. I truly believe that they, the mind and body work together and that that can be true. You know, we all wake up on the wrong side of the bed or, you know, but if you're having kind of unknown pain and you didn't really do anything, or you're just feeling really tight and achy and stiff, like there is a, the mental health component, there's stress, there may be strife in your relationship that, you know, there, and a lot of us don't recognize stress in our lives. We don't think that the the difficult boss or, or checking our emails 24 hours a day or, you know, these little things, we're so mentally used to it and we think it's normal now, but our bodies weren't designed for it. So yeah. that stress builds up and, yeah. you know, it might be clenching your jaw, you might be hunching your shoulders, you know, might be having some low back pain. So I just, I really invite people like, of course, go to your, your primary care physician, your doctor, make sure there's nothing physically wrong, but also check under the hood mentally, you know, check mm. in with yourself. And is there more stress? Is there something going on that's bothering me that I'm not recognizing? Like that, that internal, that internal inquiry is something that most people avoid. Yeah. So I'll go back to what we should do when we recognize that we have, we're struggling with trauma. But I, I noticed that you use this, the word soul quite a few times in <laughs> yeah. this conversation. So what is a soul to you and why does it matter to this entire physical experience at all? 
So to me, the soul is the part of us that is infinite. It, it's like, you know, if we have the divine or the God or whatever you want to call it, it would be like the ocean, right? And each of us is a little drop of that. And that's the soul. And when we pass from this physical body, I believe the body is kind of like a shoe and it drops off the soul and, and we go back to the ocean. Mm. We kind of decide whether we're going to come back or not. And, you know, this is a lot of spiritual study. And like I said, when if you would talk to me in my 20s, you know, I was pr probably more towards atheists. <laughs> so when I, when I talk about this, it's definitely, you know, like at this point, you couldn't convince me that it's not true. So it's very fascinating. Because, you know, growing up the way I did, I was, I was very much like, how could there be a God? You know what I mean? Like, if there was a God, how could these things happen? How could the world be the way it is? And having done that experience of really understanding the soul. So I really see it as the individual spirit or that part of the divine, the divine spark that is within us, that drives us, that gives us our, our souls, our mission, our purpose, our, our, you know, who we are. Mm. And it's, it's often living in this world that that part of us gets damp, dampened down and, and we Go start to you. try to conform and, accepted and and when we really do that internal work of you know meditation self-reflection journaling discovering who we are that's when we get in contact with the soul and that's when we can really start shining because you know I, I tried to hide i was always very interested in spirituality i was always very intuitive i understood a lot of things even being very young you know my mom used to like for when i was eight years old she'd call me her little counselor mm -hmm. and and I, and I figured out a lot of things in life that I don't know how I did that, right? How does a 17-year-old work, like, move out and figure out how to take care of herself? But you know what I mean? And, like, learn about all of that stuff. Like, I think about the things that I did, or even when I was a kid, you know, being, like, just figuring out how to cook for myself or do all that kind of stuff at, like, eight, nine years old. I believe that part of that's the wisdom of the soul. And I think anybody who has children understands the soul, too, because you have all these children that come through you and your partner, and they... You have the same genes, right? But they're just completely unique little humans. And I think that's the soul. And you really start to see that. How they just, you know, one's more introverted, one's more extroverted, one's into this, one's into that. And you're just like, how are you two related? Yeah. I mean, again, it's a, it's a very, very complex view of life because, yeah, there is your DNA that's in on the physical layer. There is the soul where it comes from, what it's, you know, if you believe in past lives or not, what's their, what its karma is and so on and so forth. But then there's also the whole cosmological view of it, like the astrology, like when they were born and what day and then the moon and rising and all of that complex stuff. And, you know, it is quite a... I don't know if they're all facets to the different facets to the same truth or if they are all working in tandem. But yeah, I, I was writing the, the other day that you will rarely ever, no, you will never meet two people who are the same, uh, even if they're twins and one of them mm -hmm. flipped, you know, slipped and hit his head when he was younger. That's gone now The the identical life path of both of them is no longer identical. You know, one of them hit his head and one didn't. And, and life becomes, you know, quite interesting from that way, from its complexity. Yeah, it is, it is, however, interesting because you say about yourself in your early years and how you did things in your early years. And when I'm sitting with you right now, you don't have those traces of anger, of like resentment, of bitterness. Have you always been like that? Oh, no, gosh. <laughs> I think when I was in my teen years, I was quite angry. But I did, I definitely used 
I guess the positive thing was I had that anger and I used it as fuel to push me forward. So I don't see anger as a bad emotion. I see yeah. anger as it means someone hurt, you know, it, it means no or ouch. That's all anger means. And we kind of, and yes, there's toxic anger, of course, but I was very angry at what had happened, you know, all the things that had occurred in my young life. And I just kind of used that as fuel to push myself to get out of it. But now I'm very conscious of working through anger and getting to forgiveness. Um, and I've had to forgive horrible things in my life. And I don't see forgiveness for someone else at all. I really believe that forgiveness is freedom for ourselves. And we never have to tell anyone that for we forgive them. We never have to have them back in our lives. We don't even have to, we're not even excusing the behavior because there's a lot of things that were done to me that were unforgivable for sure. But I didn't want to carry that with me into my experience, into my life, because it's not going to help me be better. You know what I mean? It's kind of like Buddha was attributed to saying it, but I've heard he didn't say it, but there's an old saying of, you know, anger in your heart is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Yeah, I thought it was Gandhi or like uh, Nelson Yeah, Mandela I couldn't find the actual root of who said it because I... Some wise I, person, absolutely. Some very wise person said that and I think it's really true. It's like so many humans don't let go of the past and, you know, and I had, I, I've had to make a very conscious decision to let go of the past because I wanted a better future. Yesterday, I had a, a reader send me a message on Instagram saying... He promised me he's going to be with me forever. Turn, you know, he, and now he left me and he spent two years with me and made me fall in love with him and da 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 da. You know, which basically is not a new story, if you ask me. You know, and mm -hmm. and it's not an inclusive story. Now that I'm not talking to a specific person, by the way, I will always say that when we tell those stories, we usually forget to include the reasons why on our side, how we behaved, how the compatibility, what, you know, we contributed and so on and so forth. But it is that kind of story that can linger for the rest of her life and she would never be able to find forgiveness. So what would your advice be for someone in that situation? Yeah, when it comes to forgiveness, I definitely always, my personal process for forgiveness is to go into all the things they did wrong first. So, oh, do you? Yeah, I do. Because I don't believe you can actually get to true forgiveness without feeling every gamut of emotions that is actually there. Mm. Forgiveness is the end game. That's acceptance. And you can't get acceptance when you have all this anger in your heart. Mm. So I have my clients get all the anger out first. So mm. I'll have them like write a letter to that person and just burn it, destroy it. And no one's going to see it, but get it all out. Like, you know, it'd be like if it was an accident lover like right dear so-and-so like you made me fall in love with you you did all these you know all these horrible things to me like get that anger out like process it you know go take a kickboxing class like get it out of your body allow that process of anger to, to run through you and when the anger is gone then you're ready to go in forgiveness then you mm -hmm. can go and sit down and i have my clients do often like even a process right they'll i'll have them get you know some sage or crystals or whatever makes the candles, whatever makes them feel good and write that forgiveness to the, and then I have them burn it to the heavens, you know, to, to release the energy, to transmute it and let it really let it go and put that into the world and make a new intention. And then you can start doing the work of looking back at that relationship and saying, did I show up as my best self? What patterns in me were triggered? What childhood patterns showed up in that relationship? Did I talk to them the way my mom talked to me? Did I was my anxious attachment, you know, was I too clingy? Like that's when we get to that place of peace, then we can really look at what happened. But when we're in anger, 
and we're in sadness and we're in unforgiveness, it's really hard to do that deep work because all those other emotions are just coursing through it. And those emotions color and, and create the lens through which we see the situation. We all have that experience where even we have a, let's say a small fight with someone we care about. And four or six hours later, we think of all the things we should have said and we, we feel bad for something we did say. That's because we know that the frontal part of the brain, executive functioning, when we got triggered is off. <laughs> We're now in the fight, flight, freeze, you know, the small part of our brain, the amygdala, the anger. And so whether we look at it through a, a psychological lens or a spiritual lens, it's ultimately the same. Yeah. We have to be at a place of peace to make amends. Yeah. I don't know if that's the process I go through. The process I go through actually almost starts from the opposite end. So I, I start from, and what is this getting any of us? Like, how is this making the world better? How is this making my world better? Isn't it enough that I'm hurt because of what she did? You know, should, should I hurt myself more by repeating those thoughts over and over? I mean, uh, by the way, I'm not undermining your, your method at all. No, I no, you, your, your but you also is, have a higher level of consciousness. You can come at it from that level. Yeah, when, yeah. I mean, in my, in my mind, I actually think sometimes I should do what you suggested, but to me, normally it goes like, so what good is this bringing to the world? Nothing at all. And second is I start to say, and what was great about it? You know, she was wonderful in this, she did that and so on and so forth. And I was, you know, very happy with those days and this and that and so on. So I actually look for the positives to say, so it's not all bad after all. Right. And then I basically go into my own behavior and start to ask myself, maybe that was karma that was being cleansed. Have you done that to anyone and so on and so forth. And when I get to that, I end up with a, with a few things that are still suspicious, unforgivable if you want, but they're much smaller than where I started. And then I say, so what? We all make mistakes. Let's move on. Right. It's almost the opposite direction. So when you were saying this, I was fascinated by it. I mean, like, can I actually write a letter and burn it? It's, it's, I, I would enjoy that. That would be a nice thing to do. Yeah. The reason I like to do that is because a lot of us, especially if we are trying to do this work of being more positive, it is mm -hmm. very attractive and is actually taught by a lot of people to engage in what I call toxic positivity or spiritual bypassing. Of course. Yeah. And so I, I always invite the process of going, because I always think of negative emotions as like, we've got to get them out. Yeah. And I can get to a place of peace with someone where I have no nothing. I wouldn't feel a twinge if I saw them. And that's true forgiveness. Like there's mm -hmm. nothing left. Yeah. Do you think the longer we hold on to those grudges, the more entrenched they become, the more difficult they become to, to eradicate? I think they can be because the longer you tell the story, you know, if we just look at that from a neuroscience perspective, you know, the neurons that fire together, wire together, yeah. so it becomes a little bit more hardwired in our mind and the story mm. that we tell ourselves around it. Yeah. But I think it's always possible to forgive because I, I think of, you know, sometimes when you work with people later in their later years, and sometimes, you know, they'll, they'll bring up this situation that happened with like their sister 30 years ago. And we've all kind of had this experience with someone yes. who's elder, you know, and you're kind of like, wow, you've been carrying that around for 30 years. So yeah. I feel like, you know, that would take a lot more intentional work. So I try to get, I always allow myself to feel all my emotions so that I know I went through everything and I, I'm not hiding from anything that's uncomfortable. And then and I can get to that place of peace. I think that's wonderful. I think that's the feminine way of doing it. I'm the, I'm doing it the masculine way. If you want, it's like, let's go through the logic. It's not really worth my pain. So let's just move on. Right. Yeah. And that could work. 
No, no, I'm not advocating it at all. I'm just actually, I'm saying yeah. my method out of surprise that I, that it's the opposite, which of what you're suggesting, which I think is actually a very good method. Just let the emotions be, but don't let them be in destructive ways, you know, let them be in a exactly. way that actually, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I, that's why I've kind of created a process, like a safe container so that we yeah. can go into it and then come out of it. Cause we don't want to get into rumination. We don't want to obsess over it. You know, we want to go into those negative emotions and really feel them because the only way out is through. And particularly with the men I work with, you know, men are not taught to, to feel their emotions yeah. and, and it's not great because when we disconnect from any emotion, we can't selectively choose. I mean, we can, but not to the highest level. I kind of believe that like, if we're yeah, not feeling our lowest emotions, yeah. we're not going to feel the highest ones either. Absolutely. So, yeah. No, so I, I, think, kind of I, I think when, 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 you know, many, definitely more men than women, but also women, I would say, Oh, for uh, sure. you know, when, when we make the conscious choice that we're not going to feel, uh, you're right. You know, we can't be selective. We just, we just, you know, we don't even allow the consideration of, okay, but I'm going to feel this, but not that you just don't feel, you know, you, you become, I was writing about that actually in my next book about how my wonderful daughter Aya taught me how to be emotionally available as she called it. And I promise you when she said the term, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a lot of love. People who, who know me know that there is a lot of love in me. And, and really people who know me in my older years, they say, I'm just love, basically love. And then a fat body on top of it. But then the <laughs> idea, <laughs> but the idea is when Aya, I had such a, an amazing teacher for me. And, and there was one time when she sat me down and in a very, very feminine way said, but you're not emotionally available to me. And I was like, what does that mean? I don't even know the term. I swear to you. I wrote that oh, yeah, openly no, in the book. I've heard it before. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't even know the term. What is emotionally available? And I think it was all of the modern world conditioning. I mean, if you lived my life, you want trauma? Oh, I can give you trauma. And, you know, my work life was so traumatic because I took on so much. Right. Mm. And it was, I remember one day I was talking about it to a friend and saying, it's basically like being in jail and then having the guards come in and assault you frequently because I was running such a vast geography, like 105 countries and so on. And so I had that frequent 30 minute meeting pattern of which you have 20 every day and every single one of them expects you to be fully present, fully, almost an expert on the topic and one after the next, after the next, after the next. And you don't have the choice because when the region was that big, basically some people would book that half an hour with me three and a half weeks in advance. So if I'm not feeling great today, there's no way I can tell them, no, I'm sorry, I'm not going to do it today. Book it three and a half weeks later, right? And so yeah. that constant pressure, huh? constant going through it, going through it, I think got me to the, to the side of, okay, emotions are not to be expressed or felt now. We just have to put our heads down and just get, get to work. And, and yeah, it's so eye opening. Now I say that with my deep voice, oh my God, it's so cool to be emotionally available. It's like the best thing ever. It's the best thing ever to feel fully. Yeah. And it's, it's also, you know, I just want to note, it is a survival mechanism to shut our emotions down so that we can get through difficult things. That's totally normal. Yeah. All humans do it, no matter how they identify. 
gender wise or other, you know, um, I know, I know that there was time in my life, I was very shut down emotionally, for sure. And that's the only way I could have survived that. And so I was grateful for that ability, you know, um, but we want to look for those things of like, you know, dissociation, like disconnecting for ourselves from ourselves, and our emotions. And, you know, when we're ready, we'll, we'll reconnect to them. And then we have so much more available, you know, we, we all want love and joy and health and all these things and, and doing our inner work. That's what's the good stuff is what's on the other side of that. <laughs> yeah. you know? Life yeah. will never be perfect or all easy or, you know, flow. But if we can do the, the inner work on ourselves, we can prepare ourselves so much more for handling mm -hmm. it, for doing it well, you know, for, for greater connection, which is what we are hardwired to do. Tori, tell me some of your most memorable moments, like discoveries of that resulted from reflections with yourself or maybe working with a client. I don't want to take you off guard. I, I don't know if you're prepared for that question, but were there some moments where you said, wow, you know, like big aha moments where you discovered something that was very eye opening for you in that process? Yeah, I, I think the first one that I can really like that's like visceral that I can remember is I started just randomly I got the intuitive nudge when I was like 21 to go to yoga classes. I had never done yoga. I didn't even know what it was, but I just knew I had to do it. And so I walked into this class and I, I did a couple classes. By the third one, it was the first time I'd ever, I think I'd ever come out of fight or flight in my entire life. At 21? Mm hmm Because, you know, I'd been just like going, 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 like survive, 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 survive. You know what I mean? Like I had to get through every day. I had to go to school. I had to get good grades. I had to take care of myself. I had to take my breath. You know, it was just like I was always on. And and then, you know, I was working hard because I needed to make money. I needed to support myself fully. Um, and that day I walked out of that like third yoga class and I literally felt like I was floating. And I mm. thought, wow, I feel really, really good. And that was like the the start of like my yoga and meditation, you know what I mean? Cause I was like, wait, something's here for me. Like, I don't have to feel this like low level anxiety and stress all the time. And so that was a big aha. And now I understand from trauma work, yoga can be very, you know, a safe, good yoga class can be very healing to the body and really help us calm our nervous system. And, 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 you know, the first time I think I felt fully safe in my body. And then I think getting into psychology, like learning about all my patterns and seeing my family, you know, what would happen in my family and why I was the way I was, was also like super helpful. And just that propelled me, you know, to keep studying, keep learning more and then being able to give that to my clients. Like, I think at this point, one of my superpowers is I can just have someone tell me anything at their history. And I pretty much know what's happening now. Like I, yeah. I just, I see patterns, like probably like a code person can read code. Like when someone yeah. tells me their history, I can tell you what's happening right now, or or they can even tell me what's happening right now, and I can tell you what happened in your history. So those are, <laughs> yeah, those yeah, are I so know, <laughs> I know. I actually feel the same way, you know, because one of the big decisions I made in my life is to answer every comment I get on social media. I, mm. I, I'm failing to do that more and more now, but not by much. Actually, I probably do still answer ninety percent. But the thing is, because of all of those conversations, deep connected conversations. I can, I can, you know, see patterns so easily to the point that people would sit next to me after an event or whatever and say, Mo, I'm so upset because of A, B, and C. And I say, okay, and what else? Because it's not <laughs> A, B, and C. And then they'll say E, D, F, Y, G, and, you know, they'll go through the alphabet and then 
you know, when they get to Z, I'll say, ah, that's it. That's the Z. That's the one that's really upsetting you. And they go like, yeah, that's the one that's really upsetting me. It's, it is, it is shocking though, because in a very interesting way, are you the kind of person that will sit them on a table like a, a or a, you know, on a shizlong, like a, a, a therapist and just let them talk until they figure it out? Or are you the kind of person that will tell them, uh, hold on, I see a pattern here, here it is. I like to do that a little more personally because I, you know, I feel like a lot of people talk to their friends and they get a lot of advice and that's not always helpful. And a lot of therapists are trained to not ever give any advice and just ask yeah. lots of questions. And it's yeah. kind of backwards. You know, you really want your therapist to, or, you know, the person you're working with, whether that's a coach or a healer, whatever, to kind of give you suggestions. Now, yeah. I do that with a lot of care and agency and empowering that other person. I'm never telling anyone what to do. I would never do that. But I will say, you know, when you're telling me this, I can see this. And, and how does that resonate with you? You know, does yeah. that, does that ring true? And I'd say 98% of the time it's about pretty yes. right. But yeah. so, yeah, I do try to help people. Cause I feel like if someone's coming to me for help, I want to help them as quickly as I possibly can. And yeah. sure. I could spend three sessions for them telling me all their the pattern I saw on the first one, but you know, it's always too also about being ready to hear that. So that's one thing I, I will kind of intuitively sense into and, and ask the questions to make sure, okay, is this person ready to face this pattern within themselves? Because that's another thing. Mm. And those are some of my biggest aha moments is in my life is kind of seeing my own patterns and how the things that had occurred to me grow, growing up were coming into my current life and showing up, you know, like even being very visible on social media and stuff was hard for me because growing up, one of the ways to avoid abuse is to not be seen. Yeah. you know, be quiet, be out of the way. And I'm not shy in any way. You know, if you met me, I'm very loud and I'm very funny. And <laughs> I'm pretty like confident in all those things, but it was funny. Cause I was like, at first I was like, I couldn't figure it out. Like, why, why don't I want to be like so visible in the world? You know what I mean? Like, but, and then I was like, Oh, that's a, that's an old pattern. So it's like, I can always kind of find like, this is happening, what occurred and how can I heal something at a deeper level mm. to help me expand? Cause I think that every time we grow, will kind of come back around to the same old stuff, whether it's, you know, I'm not good enough or I'm not smart enough. You know, we all have some story, you know, for me, the story is, I had multiple stories, but you know, life is always going to be hard. Things will always be difficult. I never get what I want, you know, like, so I had, I had to work through a lot of that, that stuff. I to, mean, that, those stories are valid for someone who grew up with your childhood, right? For sure. And it's like, how do, how do I shift that so that I don't yeah. keep creating it on Correct. some level? Correct. Do you believe we create what we give energy to? I think we are more powerful than we think. Obviously, some of the worst things that happen in our lives, we have no control over. So it's not anyone's fault. But I believe that when we do get into difficulty or, or you know, small things, particularly in life, you know, whether it's our money situation, or our love situation, or our health, like there where we are creating our experience, we have a lot more power than I think we give ourselves credit for. You know, all of old spirituality and, and religion, I've not nothing against religion at all, so I don't say this in a negative way, but, you know, we're kind of taught that, like, if we're good little humans and we pray to something, it will be nice to us, right? Mm. <laughs> and and then we and we all, you know, we all pray on a plane and hope that whatever's up there is going to make sure we're going to keep it afloat, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's just, you know, it's like sometimes I think we were taught our whole lives or it's very, especially in Western culture, that there is something greater outside of us that's so powerful that we hope it will give us grace. And I think there is some aspect of that. 
But I also think we can give ourselves a lot of grace by making better choices, by healing ourselves, by showing up differently. We can, you know, I was a kid who was on and off welfare and, you know, like always struggled with money. And it's like, I've had to do so much healing work around that. You know, it's like something as small as money. Like we don't recognize, not like it's very big in most people's lives, but like I had to get empowered around that and recognize that I wasn't that poor little girl anymore, that I didn't have to live that life, that, you know, I could make money and I could be successful and I, you know, all those things. And I see that with particularly, you know, marginalized communities. I'm Hispanic and Native American and, you know, grew up in a tough way. So it's like, I've had to come through a lot of difficulties Mm. to create success and to, to be open to love or, you know, all those things. It's not easy for any of us. Yeah. But some of us do have extra challenge. Yeah, I, th- I, I actually think openly, I think that um, prayer, if you believe in prayer, works because the designer of this universe basically creates laws within it that mm-hmm. allows you to create when you follow a certain pattern, right? So even prayer itself is basically just pulling into the source and saying, okay, I'm going to create this. And, you know, you're saying, oh God, please give me A, B, and C. But in almost every spiritual practice that believes in, in a God, the terms and conditions is talk to God, believing that the higher power can give you. And when you believe, you will be given, right? The worst book written in history even though incredibly successful, The Secret. <laughs> it's basically, I think that book was so badly written just to show that you can actually create your own reality without really being a good writer at all. Like you can sell millions of copies of a horrible book by actually expecting it to to sell. And and I, I, I actually say that with respect. It's It's definitely started a movement and it's opened people's eyes. But the idea here is, If you saw it and you believed it and you observed it almost like the uncertainty principle in in quantum physics, you can, you can see it as it, as if it has already happened, the rules created by the designer will say, yeah, then it will happen. Just like if you leave an apple on top of empty air, it will fall down with gravity. That's just part of the rules. And I think we, we don't recognize that within ourselves. We don't recognize that we're given that tool just like we're given the tool to let gravity pull things down. And, you know, it's quite yeah. interesting that uh, with, when you're in, in trauma and you're creating, you're giving energy, you're, you're telling yourself the world is always going to be difficult. What energy are you giving to the universe? You're saying, make it difficult. That's my belief. That's how I see it. No, totally. We, we live in a yes universe. If I'm sitting there saying, which I did, life is always going to be difficult. I'm always going to have to work really hard things aren't going to be easy. That's exactly what I created in my life. And, and the powerful thing is that if I have the power to create that, then I have the power to create something different. And, you know, I believe that what was missing in the secret for sure was doing the healing work, getting those, those negative energies out of us so that we can attract it a different, those stories and all those things. And then taking action. We are powerful creators by, by doing something. You know, if I want something like even as simple as if I want to eat something, I can imagine it in my mind, but the sandwich is not going to float to me from my kitchen. Mm. I'm going to have to get up, open the refrigerator and make it. And that's such a simple analogy for so much of life. We can have the things that we want, but we're going to have to do what I say, our part. Like the universe is doing its part. 
and we have to do ours. Mm. Beautifully said. We are co-creators. Yeah. It's like we have to make the choice. You know, the secret kind of made it sound like I can just sit in my house and meditate and the Lamborghini will be in my yeah. driveway. I live in Southern California. A lot of people drive Lamborghinis here. They did not meditate them. <laughs> you know, they did, they did, they manifested them, of course, but manifestation to me is like, yes, there are these universal laws. We can work with those universal laws and we can create. And I think that when we start taking action, that's when all those synchronicities happen. That's when, you know, it's like, I had this intuitive feeling that I had to be doing this work and I left my corporate job and that was really scary. And yeah. I gave up my benefits and my forward, you know, all those, all the, you know, what they call the, in the U S we call it the golden handcuffs. Right. And I, and I mm -hmm. loved my boss too. Like I love, there were so many good things about my company. I loved that company. I loved the people I worked with, but my, my inner self was just calling me away. I just knew I was supposed to be doing something different. And so I jumped off that ledge and I just kept following the next thing that I was supposed to do. And I've been very blessed, you know, all so much stuff has just shown up for me because I just got out there and I decided to help people. And I got, you know, my, my business is still primarily based on referrals. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I refer everyone I know. I think you're fantastic at what you do. I mean, but this is a very dangerous statement, by the way. I, I, I sometimes have to, you know, revisit this. I felt a calling to leave my corporate job and go do what I do. Uh, not everyone who, who hears that calling should leave because sometimes no. it's a false calling, right? Yeah, I definitely have a plan. That is one thing that I always tell my clients that they're similar. They're wanting to, to shift. I'm someone who has a lot of that kind of jump out of the nest and build your wings on the way down. That doesn't work for everybody. I usually invite most people to do it as a side hustle or build it on the weekends or, you know, get it, get it going. Cause not having consistent income is very scary. And it's one of the most difficult things I ever had to sh make that shift from, you know, from basically being an employee who had great benefits and a great pay to not being sure what was going on, mm -hmm. <laughs> especially when I first started. And that got, cost me a lot of stress for sure. I definitely think that like entrepreneurship, if that's what it is, or working for yourself is something that must be carefully considered. And I'm just saying that was an experience for me of like trusting myself and taking the leap and having it work out. But it was not without a ton of learning yeah. lessons and difficulties along the way of, of doing that well. Yeah. Tori, so we, we jumped away from the energy healing side. So, so you, mm -hmm. I really am curious about what energy psychology is. What is that? Why is it different than typical psychology? Yeah. So energy psychology is based on the mind body connection and it is a, it is a tool to help us heal more quickly. So it integrates them. It's kind of like the easiest way to describe it is it's like neuroscience and acupressure had a baby. <laughs> so, <laughs> so what we're doing is we're taking a distressing thing in your life. Maybe it's just a thought, maybe it's an experience. And we're using the meridian system to tap on the body. And there's another, another form of it's called EFT or emotional freedom technique. Energy psychology EFT. is a little bit different because EFT is one set of tapping points that you do for everything. And I kind of say it works 80% of the time for 80% of things. Energy psychology is a little different because it's approved by the American Psychological Association for healing things like PTSD and trauma. And the process is different. So when I work with a client, we, we have a goal. So let's say maybe it's to 
become more successful or, or they're struggling with money or love. And, and then we create that goal. And then I start looking for any objections to healing that would be. So I'm actually looking for subconscious objections to healing. A lot of people don't know that a part of them does not want to heal because the that? ego does not, the ego does not want to change yeah. what even, you know, we can all relate to this when it comes to like exercise, right? You want to exercise, you want to be healthy, but when the alarm clock goes off at 6am, you have every story in the world about why you don't want to get up. <laughs> and you start, you know, your first week you do it and you're like, oh, I feel, you know, I feel so amazing. I'm going to be so fit. <laughs> and then the next week that alarm clock goes off and you're like, oh, but I was up late last night. I could sleep in the next day. Oh, but yeah. you know, I had a really, I was tossing and turning. I can't get up. And it's like that ego, that, that, that lower voice in our head just starts to get the best of us. And, it, and I personally believe that resistance sets in, I call it resistance. It's that part of us that doesn't want to change. And when we're doing something that the mind knows will help us change, we resist the heck out of it. So I always say, I always tell my clients, pay attention to what you're like, if you're getting the idea, like, let's say it's like, I, I want to take this exercise class, but you won't do it. Or you want to meditate, or you want to read this book and you keep forgetting or getting busy or, you know, that's the very thing you need to do to change. So in energy psychology, we really address those deeper issues as well. Um, we make sure that all parts of you, every, you know, you have no doubts about it. And then we start doing the healing work. And so what's fascinating in some research on just e even EFT is that they took before blood samples and after blood samples, after doing just five minutes of EFT, and they found a 40% reduction in stress cortisol hormones. Mm. And the first time they did it, they actually thought it was an, a mistake. The lab did. So they did it again and they got the same results. Mm. So what we're doing is we're helping the mind disengage stress and negativity from that experience, that thought, that feeling. So maybe, mm. you know, it's something as much like public speaking. Like I had a client, like she's moving up in the world and she's in her expert in her industry and she had to part, start public speaking. So we did a lot of like healing work around that. You know, she had negative experience with the professor. So we had to like tap on that and clear that out from her body. So we're helping your body not have a negative experience or stress response to a particular experience because mm. trauma gets encoded in our body. So, so for me, sometimes my mom growing up, she used to go out a lot to bars and, you know, party and stuff like that. And so when she'd get home and sometimes, you know, there'd be fighting. And so I found that if anyone came home late to my home as an adult, like when I was even younger, I would get into fight. I would be ready to fight. Like I would literally like, I could hear like my door, like my roommate would come home and I'd hear a door close and I'd like, I'd be ready to fight. Mm. So that was my body's physiological response to a past stress and trauma. Right. And so I had to work with my body to teach it that not every time I hear that I'm going to have that negative experience. And that happens for so many things in our life. You know, even if someone criticizes us, we can get into that, that space. Mm. That was a little bit different for me. So yeah, I found that energy psychology was kind of a game changer even in my own healing because I had done so much work. I'd done meditation. I'd done breath work. I've, you know, I've been working on myself for 22 years. But being able to bring that stress response down quickly in the moment, and I always give my clients like an at home too, so they can do it for themselves. You know, I don't want anyone to be dependent on me. But, you know, my gift is kind of seeing like, what are the deeper patterns here? What are the deeper traumas? What are the experiences? What are the thoughts, the beliefs? Clearing all of that out just gives you so much more agency and freedom and ability to have what we call more of a flexible nervous system, meaning that we're more comfortable when we're growing, we're more comfortable when we're doing something that's scary to us, whether it's going on a first date after a breakup or speaking up in a meeting or 
not yelling at our kids, you know, because they've gotten us upset. Mm. You're amazing. I mean, in a very interesting way, that holistic view of it. So you spoke about the mind and the patterns and the stories and the experiences and how we store them. And then you spoke about emotions and how we express them and spoke about the soul and the connection between us and our soul and how that affects us. And then now you're talking about the physical form and the body and, and all of those feelings and tappings and meridians and so on. And it's, uh, it's actually, uh, it's actually quite refreshing to see someone who's going to say, all right, you know, we have that pattern. We're going to tap on that pattern or we have this emotion. How are we going to deal with that emotion? And I, I will have to say it's, um, it is complex, but it isn't. So if you've seen it and you've tried it, it really works when you tell others to do it. It's quite interesting. Yeah, I have really great results from it, you know, because any anytime we're in difficulty, if we can, re if we can reduce that stress response, if we if we even just think of it from that perspective, you know, like we all have that, those things, we all get in our own head, we all get triggered. Um, that's very human, that's very normal. And it's if it, it gives us back our power to say like, okay, I can bring this stress response back, back down, I can get back into my higher reasoning, my higher self, and I can respond to it differently. And I always remind people that progress in life is shortening the duration of anything. So, oh, so yeah. maybe, yeah. you know what I mean? Cause like we think, we think like winning or progress is, is not having that, maybe that trigger anymore. And that's possible. You know, there's a lot of things that used to trigger me that don't trigger me at all anymore, but I see it as like, you know, if it used to get upset me for a couple of days and now it just upsets me for a couple hours, like that's huge progress. Yeah. And then it's, it's also the frequency. So, you know, it used to, it used to trigger you every three days. Now it triggers you every three months. And I think that's, that's the whole idea. How, how quickly you bounce back and how less frequently do you get triggered by it? I think that's the whole game. Exactly. I just yeah. see it as, you know, yeah, I really look at everything holistically and I've studied Ayurvedic medicine and, you know, I, I know herbs for anxiety. Like I look at, like I give people the gamut of tools to really help them stay in their power, to stay calm, to, you know, to create from that place of they can do it. You know, it's not an easy place to get into, but we do have to, like you were saying, we have to have that belief that we can do it, that we can just take the next right step. That's all it's about. You know what else I love about you, Tori, which I actually monitor for anytime anyone offers me to help. There are those who position themselves as I figured it all out. Come to me. I'm your guru, right? And there are those who are incredibly effective, but they'll always say, and I'm still working on me, right? I still have my own patterns. I still have my own realizations. They might not be as trivial as they used to be when I was 20, but they're still there, right? And I find that to be probably the biggest marker of someone who's actually going to help because they, they know the reality of what I call con continuous improvements. You, you know, there is no point in your life where you're going to say, all right, that's it. I'm done. I'm ready. I'm a perfect human. <laughs> no. right? It's not going to happen. Just, right? I just had that conversation the other day yeah. um, with a client. I was saying like, you know, we're, we're never done. Like yeah. something new is always going to come up, especially if I'm choosing to evolve and grow. Like, and, and yeah. like I, you know, they, there's a saying that says, um, new level, new devil. I still kind of see it as new level, old devil will come back. You know, our, our old stuff will kind of come <laughs> back around with the new devil. So old devil. Will yeah, come exactly. And help, right? so you, <laughs> yeah. you know, we're, and yeah, yeah, I think, you know, I love the saying, and I've always said it to myself is, you know, the wisest man knows he knows nothing. Yeah, absolutely. too. 
And so I'm always, always working on myself, always learning, always trying to be better for myself and be better for my clients. Because if I don't keep growing, I'm not of service to anyone. Yeah. Tori, with all that happened and all the challenges that you still go through and you know, how, how you started the conversation when you have with an emotional challenge, that's quite big for you. Are you happy? Yeah, I find moments of happiness every day. I mean, there's definitely times where I've I've not felt happy, but I do find I think at this point in my life I find joy in so much so many more simple things. I think I used to want like those more highs of happy, you know, like the big like travel and you know, like the the, the higher moments of happiness, but it's like now I can really just be happy looking at my dog or going to the ocean or talking with a friend. Like those things make me so happy. And so yeah. I think happiness is something that we have to work to cultivate in a positive way and, and find the joy in everyday life because life is each little moment every day, you know, that's what's passing us by. And it's easy to forget that when we get stuck in the, the doing instead of the being. So, you know, I wake up every morning and I spend at least an hour meditating and journaling and prayer, whatever calls to me that day. And then, you know, I really take those times to, to cultivate, even when I'm having difficult times in life, because that's part of it. It's, it's, I always go back to my spiritual practice. I really see life as a spiritual practice, which makes me happy. Cause when I feel connected to myself, when I feel connected to the universe, when I feel connected to others, that's when I feel fulfilled for me personally. <laughs> Some people want to live in a cave alone. <laughs> I get that too. <laughs> I like that sometimes too, as well. I mean, it's, it's actually really interesting what you just said. It's always about cultivating. It's about enjoying those little moments. I, you know, I, I get, I get so many answers to what happiness is. And of course mm -hmm. I have my own answers, but I think, I think the reality is if you, if you think about life and it's not horrible, then that's a good reason to be happy. Any moment in your life that's not horrible is a moment to celebrate and enjoy. There's always an interesting flavor in every single moment that you go through. And unless it's very, very challenging, then it's a moment to be enjoyed. And, and I, I really think that even those moments that are very challenging eventually are going to lead us to enjoy because they'll develop us, they'll make us better. I do too. What can I say? I mean, all those little moments, including including a wonderful conversation with you. I loved this conversation. I'm so grateful that you showed up every time I see you speak. I mean, this is the first time we, we spend time, uh, talking to each other rather than me listening to you, giving a talk. And, <laughs> and I, and, and I, I have to say you, you radiate what you're talking about. You are so true with what you do. And it's just very angelic when I, again, I, I always tell my, my listeners, because they may not have the same joy that I have when I'm talking to an incredible guest, that there is something truly angelic about you. When you were saying that you went through this because it was preparing you for what you were doing, I was nodding vigorously. I was like, yeah, yeah, clearly, clearly, clearly. Tori, where can people find you? I, I'm actually, I don't ask every guest that, but guests that I recommend very strongly. If someone's going through a some kind of trauma or some kind of experience and they want to find you, how do they find you? Yeah, they can find me on Instagram at Manifest Soul Success or my website, which is ToriJanae.com. So T-O-R-I-J-E-N-A-E.com. And those are two easy places to find me online, check out kind of who I am and what I do. But 
And, you know, I'm the same as you. I want to answer those DMs and see, you know, if I'm not the person to help people, I'll always tell them, hey, start with this book or get a therapist or, you know, just whatever that right thing is for them to do. That, that's the right way to do it. And I, I'll, I'll, leave, I'll leave every one of Tori's links in uh, the show notes if you want to get in touch. I know many people who worked with Tori and got really incredible results. And so uh, if you want to dig deep and reflect on something that's bothering you, I think she would be a very good uh, place to start. So find her and find your happiness in those little moments, but also realize that the difficult moments are moments that we go through because they prepare us for an experience or they prepare us for a learning or they prepare us for a duty they, that we may undertake in life. And in all of those, I find that in the simple moments where it's not horrible, I can find gratitude and in the difficult moments that are shaping me and making me a better person, a more capable person, a more ready person for my purpose, I have even more gratitude. I am very, very grateful that you all give me the chance to meet such amazing people, to feel that incredible surge of energy that comes through me when I have a wonderful conversation with a wonderful guest. And uh, it's all because of you continuing to listen to Slow Mo. When you, the more you listen, the more you refer your friends, uh, the more I'll be able to find more and more interesting guests for us to discuss amazing things with. I am very grateful for that. If you haven't rated uh, the podcast uh, five stars or shared it with a friend or shared it on your social media, do that today, please. Uh, it keeps us growing and that keeps things more interesting. Whatever it is that you're doing this week, I know you're busy. We're all very busy as we started the conversation. It's some weird times. There are lots of interesting challenges around us, but hey, there's always a tiny bit of time to slow down. I love you all for listening and I will see you next time.